It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Katie Pavlich. I'm Steve Ducey. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. I'm Chris Foster. Fox News Channel correspondent Alex Hogan's back from covering the war in Ukraine. Life will never be the same, even when people are able to reconnect with their family and see their family members again. The trauma that they've all shared and this displacement of needing to leave everything, figure out you're sitting in your apartment. Okay, I'm leaving. I don't know if I will ever come home again. What do I grab? I'm Jessica Rosenthal. We're hearing about the possibility of a recession more often now. Stocks continue falling as we deal with record inflation and a Fed that's dealing with it all by raising rates. There's some very nervous investors out there for good reason, because the likelihood and the uh, promise of recession seems to be getting closer and closer every day. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Yesterday was Victory Day in Russia. Marking 77 years since the defeat of Germany in World War II. VE Day here and in Western Europe is May 8th. It's the 9th in Russia and Ukraine due to the time difference. In his Victory Day speech, Russian President Vladimir Putin compared the fight in Ukraine to the fight against Hitler, again calling Ukrainians Nazis, again claiming the invasion is about defending the homeland. But he did not go as far as declaring outright war. In the weeks and if not months before May 9th, that there could be some big announcement that came out or Russia deciding to double down. And that's not exactly what we saw. If anything, it was this waiting for news that just did not come. Alex Hogan's a Fox News Channel correspondent based in London, just back from covering the war in Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speaks to his people every single night, not only trying to give mm-hmm. updates about what's taking place the day before, but also trying to get people on the same page of rallying around their troops and, and having that sense of morale, I think, has been instrumental in keeping the same sense of upbeatness and same pride that I, I've noticed with so many of the people that I spoke with when I was there about how they genuinely feel connected to the troops and they feel connected to the government because they're constantly getting updates. It's the I'll overstate it, but the fate of the world here, the fate of the war, may really rest on the fact that this guy Zelensky is so charismatic and he's been yeah. so brave. If the if 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 Ukraine had elected somebody else mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, who knows how this may have gone? He may have just rolled over. He may have split, and and this this may be very different. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting psychological game to play what could have happened and what could have transpired. He, of course, is a public speaker. He was an actor. So he is very smart on how to approach this from a um, publicity point of view of the importance of holding these press conferences Mm -hmm. and talking with people and giving that verbal affirmation of standing with the troops really does go a long way. And I think that that can't be overstated enough because if if we hadn't had these same kinds of conversations, if he hadn't been out there, if he hadn't been standing there himself, if he had decided to flee, then morale there would be very different. Of course. Um, Putin, in his speech yesterday, once again, called the Ukrainians Nazis and also said this is about defending the homeland. He kind of goes back and forth on on what the the cause of the uh, invasion is. What do Russians here officially. We know that there were stories when the invasion started that there were a lot of Russian troops who some may not have even known they were in Ukraine. They may have been uh, lied to about why they were 
there. Has, is there any sense that that has changed at all? And what about Ukrainians themselves? Is there any sense that they know why this is happening to them? Every person that I talked with from the refugee standpoint, when I first went over after the invasion and then in Ukraine, they still feel shocked and they still can't believe it. Now it's turned to the point of, of being shocked to just being angry yeah. and and questioning how people who are there can't question their government and how they're not standing up to this. But that being said, Putin's approval ratings are higher than they were before the invasion. And there's something to be said about that, about how people, whether there's a couple of reasons we could break that down. Are people actually approving of the government or are they afraid to speak out and say that they don't approve of, of it? But they may approve of the invasion and they may approve of what they're hearing about the reasons for the invasion. Exactly. It could, it could be both. It could be both. But they could also be too afraid to speak up against it. Um, it's, I remember a tweet from a, a youngish Ukrainian girl, probably in her 20s, whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a week after the invasion saying, hey, I tweeted to somebody, to a friend, hey, remember a week ago when we were at that restaurant making fun of that other friend? That seems like forever ago. Yeah. And there are these young Ukrainians who just living their lives and suddenly they're in hell. Yeah. It's, it, it's unthinkable. Life will never be the same, even when people are able to reconnect with their family and see their family members again. The trauma that they've all shared and Mm. this displacement of needing to leave everything, figure out you're sitting in your apartment. Okay, I'm leaving. I don't know if I will ever come home again. What do I grab? Having to make that decision and then having to go somewhere else is really traumatic. And I don't think that people will be able to shake that off, even if they go through therapy and are able to reunite with people. They've all lost people or they've heard stories of people who've had to bury their loved ones in mass graves because there's just nowhere else to put the bodies. Yeah. Um, This Ukrainians being called Nazis, it has to be particularly galling to people who lost Germany occupied Ukraine during World War II. A lot of Ukrainians died, Jews and non-Jews. Um, it has to be, again, particularly galling to people who remember that history or had family who who died in the Holocaust, like President Zelensky. It's particularly offensive for people who have, that is such a deep-seated part of who they are, their identity, and then now to be accused of being a Nazi themselves. But one beautiful thing that I, I saw many of these stories and talked with different people who their grandparents had been either in the Holocaust or they had fled. Mm-hmm. And then now those families are able to support Ukrainians that had supported them. So it's this yeah. full circle moment, which is incredible to see. And there's been such an outpouring of support from Doctors Without Borders to humanitarian aid organizations and and people who are just coming from all over to help. But that sense of of anger and um, frustration and just blatant shock of how people genuinely could believe that that is the reason that Russia is invading, that's not going to go anyway anytime soon. Let's say whatever this means, mm-hmm. Russia wins the war. Yeah, they 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 take the territory they want in the east, or or, or more. What's the possible end game there? I mean, maybe before this started, they could have taken the Donbass without too 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 much trouble. Yeah. Uh, there might have been some grumbling, but at this point, how is this not just a forever insurgency, maybe coupled with forever brutality by the Russians? Yeah, well, if you look, for example, just at Mariupol, which has been one of the cities that's been under siege uh, repeatedly, it's in the southeastern part of the country. 
they have repeatedly tried and said that we've almost taken over Mariupol, the Russian troops, and they've surrounded it. They have, but they still haven't been able to fully take it. So I think the military move, had they decided specifically to focus on the Donbass region, maybe we would have seen a change of course. But now at this point, resources are strained. Morale is increasingly low. And even if they do manage to take some of these towns, they've completely leveled them. Mariupol, 90% of the buildings have been destroyed. So even if you take the town, Really, what are you taking? Yeah, uh, Zelensky said the other day to um, to one of his many audiences he's had um, in this time that Mariupol can't fall. What's to fall? Yeah, you know the, it's, it's, it has it's gone. fallen in the sense of, of the structure and the infrastructure itself. Yeah, um, the people you talked to, the Ukrainians. Um, did you ask them, did they say anything about like what's America doing? What's the West doing? Is there appreciation for the support they're getting or is it why aren't we getting boots on the ground? Typically, the main question that they would ask me in terms of what other people were saying, what was happening is why are other nations not closing the sky? Meaning yeah. turning off any uh, air defense zone or just making sure that it would be illegal to fly over and be able to bomb these areas. That, of course, would prompt this this effort and in, in the mobilization of other countries to increase. So that's the reason that that has not taken place. But that's the main thing that people keep asking for. They just want the West to close the skies. And what President Biden and his military leaders have to think about is it's one thing to send. You can't just send American pilots yeah. or, or NATO pilots to fly around Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to take out Russian air defense systems yeah. as well to keep yourself safe. And that means incursions into Russian territory. Yes. And that's, that could be very, very dangerous. That would mean a U.S. offensive, which the U.S. is not ready to launch. But then you yeah. can't protect that airspace without right. shooting down Russian planes that might go into it. And that in of itself would be an act of war. So there, I guess the thought is the best we can do is give the Ukrainians their own air defense systems mm-hmm. and try to fend for themselves. And arm them as much as we can. Yeah. yeah. Um, Elon Musk tweeted, and I want to read it. <laughs> If I die under mysterious circumstances, it's been nice knowing you. There's been this earlier post threatening him over uh, providing Ukraine with satellite internet service since the start of the invasion. Talk about what that service is that he's providing. So the service is a backup for internet, basically. It's so important, and I think we can't stress and underscore enough how important it is for people to have internet, especially in a war zone right now, just to be able to have the latest movements to know, am I safe where I am? So he moved in Starlink, which helps provide and back up internet should it be hacked, should uh, internet go down. And he is being accused now of being involved in this cover, this Nazi cover up, which he thought was comical. And that's exactly what that tweet was. His mother didn't like that tweet very much, (laughs) tweeted back at him saying something along the lines. It's not funny. It's not funny or be careful. He apologized. But um, and and we've seen Elon Musk do this. He tweets a lot, right? Especially not always in a very serious manner, but just to him showing how comical it was that he thinks he's now being linked to uh, to these Nazi targets. Yeah. Um, we at Fox have lost a couple colleagues during this war. Pierre and Sasha died. Um, that has to be on everybody's mind who's there now working yeah. to watch your own back and also to keep the work going sort of in their honor. Yeah. Um, talk about that a little bit. And also just now that you're back, it's it, it, a little bit of remove what you think is going to be top of mind when you think about this experience, you know, in the, in the days, weeks, years going forward. Yeah. So, Pierre was just the most amazing human, just an amazing man, such a good friend to everyone that he worked with. And he just touched so many people and he made people comfortable. He's 
a remarkable yeah. photojournalist. I just want to use his last name. Pierre Zakshevsky was he worked here for years yeah. and years and years. He was all over the world. All over the world. And people knew him from other companies and just could not rave enough about how wonderful this man was in his career and also just on a personal note. And we feel that loss every single day. We have a very small bureau in London and it's very uh, it feels very cold without him. Uh, and Sasha, I didn't have the pleasure of working with her, but she was witty and smart and great at what she did. And uh, it's just it's heart it's heartbreaking. It cannot explain the depths to which it it hurts and and how hard it is, especially for the people who had the pleasure of working with them yeah. so much more. And that's something that I think as journalists we can all think about when we're over there in those situations. People reached out from every other company because they either knew them or they can empathize. And just the mm-hmm. loss that you feel when you're in a story like this, you're not just doing your nine to five, you are living with people, you are becoming basically family because you're relying, you have that trust with each other. So that's something that people who are fleeing the country feel the same way as well. A lot of these people are fleeing Ukraine and they're with strangers sitting on the train with them, sitting on the bus with them, and then learn their stories and then have kept in touch with each other too. So the human side is so evident in these kinds of stories because mm-hmm. everything else goes away. Like we were talking about how politics and a pandemic can be wiped off yeah. of people's minds. It's just the human connection that stands out more than anything else. Alex Hogan, Fox News Channel correspondent based in London, just back from Ukraine. Uh, welcome home. Glad to see you. Thank you so much. And join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. Stocks have been on a downward ride for weeks now. All three major averages at their lowest level in over a year. Uh, What is it that's pushing them down today? Well, worries about growth, Uh, whether it's the lockdowns in China or inflation or other worries about growth, including the war in Ukraine. Fox business anchor Jerry Willis said Monday the sell-off is even impacting energy stocks, which had been doing better than the rest of the market. And bank stocks, which typically do better when the Fed raises rates, just are not. Really, there's nowhere for for investors to hide today, and nothing shows that better than a survey of individual investors. 53% of them believe that the market uh, is in a bear situation, meaning it's down 20% from its highs. Not technically true, but those individual investors are feeling the pain. After an unexpected decline in GDP of 1.4% in the last quarter, the president said he was not concerned about a recession. Consumer spending and business investment and residential investment increased at significant rates, both for leisure as well as hard products, number one. Number two, the, we are unemployment is the lowest rate since 1970. AAA says the average for a gallon of gas is up 14 cents in a week. And the latest Fox News poll found 44 percent feel rising grocery and gas prices are causing serious hardships. Some say we may not have seen the worst of the financial pain. Former Home Depot CEO Bob Nardelli told Fox's America Reports last week. We're already in a recession, Sandra, so they have to deflect 
all of the things that are not going so well for this administration. He said he doesn't think we've peaked on inflation yet and said he thinks we're in for a lot of turbulence for a longer period. Well, we don't know, but every indicator now is that, in fact, we are headed towards a recession. Jonathan Honig is founder of the Capitalist Pig Hedge Fund and Fox News contributor. Or at the very least, a slowing economy. In fact, a recent survey from a lot of the big money managers and investment banks, Goldman Sachs among them, saying that they're seeing the risk of a recession rise dramatically. The best indicator we have, well, the most obvious one is simply the state of the stock and bond markets themselves. We've seen now six straight weeks where the stock market has been down. That tends to be the most uh, accurate leading indicator there is. We've often seen this huge rise in interest rates. Might be good for savers, but it often, especially when the interest rates are what they call inverted, it's often a sure tell sign that a recession is imminent. So, there's some very nervous investors out there for good reason, because the likelihood and the uh, promise of recession seems to be getting closer and closer every day. I read this quote from a chief economist at a consulting firm. You've probably heard or read something similar. Quote, we need to slow down the economy and demand with it. And that likely means slower growth and slightly higher levels of unemployment over two years. And it will be done purposefully. The problem is we could cause a recession in the process. A couple there there are a couple of things to ask you about with the, with that quote purposefully slowing down the economy and demand to on purpose create a recession that sounds is is that the solution no i mean i think incumbent in that whole idea is the notion that the economy needs to be centrally planned right that you know, to have a prosperous economy, we somebody in Washington pulling the levers, pulling the strings, controlling demand, setting interest rates. You know, the economy is just hundreds of millions of voluntary, profit-seeking, mutually beneficial relationships. What government does more often than not is get in the middle of that. <laughs> in fact, you talk about what's you know investors and flexing business owners right now. More than anything, it's inflation. You know, Gerald Ford called it public enemy number one. And while we're not necessarily there just yet, that's what's really flummoxing the economy and flummoxing so many business owners right now, this tremendous impact of inflation. And that's 100 percent due to government. You know, it's not greedy CEOs raising prices. It's not even supply chain concerns. It's all that stimulus spending now filtering its way back into the economy pushing up prices. So it's not necessarily we need a better central planner when it comes to the economy. We need more private investors in the economy and less government intervention. That's what could really put us on the right track. Well, I will keep in mind that you just said that this is not about supply chain issues. But as you know, many others say that that it is very tied to that. I want I want to run this thought by you because we're dealing with this incredible inflation at a time when the Fed is raising rates, right? So that's the combination we're sort of dealing with. A few weeks ago, the head of a wealth advisor group said on Fox Business that the challenge for the Fed right now, if we're talking about rates, is they don't control supply chain disruptions, they can't make anybody pump or drill more oil, and they can't end the war in Ukraine. So they're fighting inflation, he said, with tools that are not designed for this kind of inflation, for these causes. Are there other tools then? Well, I mean, what is inflation? Let's just define what inflation is. When inflation does not mean prices rising. Inflation is defined as a undue expansion in the money supply. And that's why you see during periods of inflation, not just 
gas go up, but prices go up across the economy. In fact, that's exactly what we've seen. You know, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, as you said, to try to slow the economy and slow the impact of inflation. But the truth is, interest rates have already risen and the inflation is already here. We're seeing it not just in terms of people, you know, shopping and and gas, but even in terms of the mortgages that we're paying are dramatically higher than last year and all the rest. So, you know, inflation is a symptom, but it's also a cure. And the economist Milton Freeman used to say there is no such thing as a free lunch. That's what's so frustrating, I think, for so many Americans right now is that we're paying for it one way or another. We're paying for all that proliferated spending in D.C. We're paying for the gross rile and at the gas pump today. But talk to me about supply chain issues, because we do know that there have been factory shutdowns in Shanghai, especially in parts of Asia. And we know, for example, GDP shrank by what was it like almost one and a half percent last quarter. And my understanding is that that is totally tied to to the supply chain issues that we're not like producing or we're not shipping out what we make as much. Um, Talk to me about your belief that this is not about the supply chain. And are these supply chain issues actually contributing to the slower GDP growth? Yes, definitely. I think the supply chain issues are real. And while I don't think you can blame inflation on supply chain issues, you certainly can blame scarcity and less availability and also in many cases, higher prices as well. You know, what we learned during the pandemic and even now in the wake is how much of a globally interconnected economy we have. You know, that's a good thing in terms of lower prices and efficiency when it comes to companies. But we know that when one element of that supply chain breaks down, in effect, the whole machine comes to a halt. And certainly that's been the case in China. You know, the Chinese economy has been really decimated because unlike America and the rest of the world, they never really opened up their economy. So their economy, their people, their incomes are all suffering dramatically. And in fact, we're suffering here as a result. So no question, the supply chain is having an impact on everyday Americans. But I think this ultimately is a temporary factor whereas the inflation is most likely here to stay for could be a decade or more. That's not a genie that's easy to put back in the bottle. If our inflation is just about our government spending, then why is inflation global? Why are other countries experiencing it? Well, for two reasons, one of which is that they've also engaged in tremendous spending interventions in the economy. So America certainly doesn't have a lock on that. And the other side of that coin is the U.S. economy is by far the largest economy in the world. So whatever happens here, in effect, has those reverberation effects throughout the whole globe. People are really hurting. Wages are up, but you know people are demanding more money because they need more. And the wages, as we know, are not keeping pace with inflation. If a recession happens, and let's say it is purposefully done or done because of this combination of factors, is the thinking, is the psychological thinking that we're just accepting some sort of short-term pain for long-term stability? That's what's so insidious and so frustrating about inflation. Exactly as you said, you know, we're making more. Our paychecks are up four and five percent. But when inflation is running six or seven percent, you're losing money year after year after year. You know, it's often called a a hidden tax. It's absolutely true. You don't see it as much as a, a property tax increase or sales tax increase, but it affects every American, not just directly, but also the so called trickle down effects as well. So that's my fear right now. Unless we get some type of a change in policy, I just don't see any major change in inflationary trend in the U.S. Now, before I ask this question, I will just tell my listeners, you are just one person. You are, you know, so if I ask for advice, I want to be clear that you can ask for advice from many different people. But what is the advice at this point for middle income folks and who are looking at their 401ks? Maybe they're getting closer to retirement and you're talking about this being around for maybe a decade. How much should we be worried and what should we do at this point if we have any savings or assets? 
Well, sure. I mean, it all comes down to your own individual context and situation. And, you know, despite a lot of the fears, a lot of the frustrations, I think every American should believe in the long term future of this country and in a long term economy. So, you know, long term, I have no fears, but short term, I do think there's a lot of pain uh, to come. One basic thing that every American can and should do is basically put their financial house in order. What does that mean? Paying down that credit card debt and having somewhere between six and nine months worth of living expenses just sitting in the bank. If you can just do that, you're truly better off than at least half of Americans at this time. And I think that's a great goal, especially now. Even if those savings are just, as you previously noted, you're essentially losing money if that money's sitting. I mean, of course, we should all have emergency money, but it does feel like over time, if you do have savings, that you're just you're literally losing money if it's just sitting in the bank. That's that's absolutely true. That's why savings needs to be one part and investment continues to be a a long part. You know, providing you're living within your means, you're planning and thinking long term. Where most people go wrong isn't necessarily that they pick a bad stock. What most people go wrong is that they spend every dollar that they make. It's not just focusing on where you put your money, but it's focusing on how you spend your money as well. And again, that's why just having a little bit of that savings on the side can give you not only a great peace of mind, but a great foundation on which to take additional risk in the market or anywhere else. Okay, just a couple more. I keep hearing the word or words, I don't know, sell-offs. Is that one word or two words? Um, (laughs) Every time I watch financial news, it's a sell-off, sell-off, the NASDAQ. And I keep hearing that, that even those tech stocks are are likely going to lose more. Bank stocks should be doing well because of these higher rates. They're not. Um, Is this because of the uncertainty, the environment, you know, the outlook, or is this a reaction to actual interest rate rises? Like what's happening here when we see the market selling? Well, I mean, this is actually a continuation. If you look at the trend, I mean, a lot of this weakness in the stock market started three and four months ago. You know, Facebook started to warn months ago now, about the dramatic impact of inflation it was having on its business. It dropped 25% in just one day on that news. And since then, we've right. seen company after company report of you know just how severely the slowing economy and the rising inflation is going to have an impact on their business. So this has been, in effect, kind of a long time coming. And in fact, as we said, this is now the sixth week of lower markets for lower stock markets. So I think investors have to play defense here. You know, the old saying goes, uh, your best offense is a good defense. So now is the time, I think, for some cares, especially if you're close to retirement or uh, needing the cash in a short period of time. Lastly, Jonathan, is this economic or financial situation unprecedented? It's global. Um, we live in a time where, as you previously noted, you know, everything is made abroad or, you know, everything's interconnected. We're, ship- we're doing a lot of shipping and we've had a global pandemic. Like in 50, 100, 200 years, will people look back on this time and study it, learn from it? Well, my fear is that it can get even potentially bigger. I mean, even think back to the global financial crisis of 2009. Remember, that started as just they said it was a problem with subprime loans. So that, I think, is my fear, is that we could see some type of global contagion, perhaps some banks failing or companies failing. I mean, that's certainly not out of the question. So we always talk about the need for diversification. It's, it sounds so kind of pedestrian and boring, but you know, when it comes to our portfolios, making sure that you don't have all your eggs in one basket, it's important anytime, but certainly now when you know, it seems as a lot of the, the chips are still continuing to fall. Jonathan Honig, thank you so much for your time. Anytime, anytime. Be well.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So Joe Biden told reporters that the MAGA crowd is the most extreme political organization in history. That's right. The guy who vowed to unite the country says Republicans are worse than the Klan. Now, I'm no event planner, but something tells me if you're trying to get people to attend your big unity party, you don't call them a bunch of racist extremists on the invite. Now, in Biden's defense, his words are really his own because the White House forces him to use a prompter for fear that he might wander off and say something stupid like this, but it just keeps happening again and again and again. Seriously, Biden must like the taste of leather because he's always putting his foot in his mouth. But in this instance, his remarks are calculated to make people believe Republicans are the bad guys in the abortion debate. Not the Democrats who killed 60 million babies. No, they're the good guys because my body, my choice, even though they just forced you to put a vaccine in your body, even if it wasn't your choice. Point being, Joe Biden's looking to score cheap political points by tarring his enemies in a political game of chicken because it's way easier than talking turkey about his record as president. Talk about foul play. I'm Jimmy Fallon. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.